endless snow, as far as her eye could trace that gleaming horizon. A vast, sun-stained tundra at the edge of the world. On the other side of the mountains was this place called Icewind Dale, by those taking the time to ask her questions. A place beyond what passed for civilization along the Sword Coast. To Jorora, nothing sounded worse. She had grown amongst her kin, the drow of Menzo Baranzen, and spent many years in the lightless tunnels of the Underdark. There, deep below, that was a world she understood. A place that made sense. For all the dangers that kept all but the most ambitious fools away, it was all she ever had that could be called some semblance of home. Now here she was, hundreds of miles away from the City of Spiders, with a band of fools for company. They were odd. One, the Hobgoblin, seemed to have some form of military history, but they didn't act like it. After learning they served in a mercenary band, it made more sense to her. Loyal only to coin is what the house matron would advise when asked about her hesitancy employing mercenaries such as Bregendaerth. Jorora wondered if there was more to that story sometimes. Not so much now. For now, her thoughts were of getting through the spine of the world pass without incident. The first few nights she rested little, with her back to a wall as taught by her mentor. She learned to give her trust in sparse amounts, and to doubt the sincerity of promises from others. She could recall this lesson well, especially in the memories where she broke that mentor's bones upon the rack. That was a different life, though. Now she was headed north, looking for a new mentor, an acquaintance, who had been part of each of their lives and asked each of them simply, Come north. I need your assistance. This one, this folk, who had showed true kindness, she would help. If Fireshear was what passed for a city up here, she was prepared to be disappointed by whatever awaited in this so-called Ten Towns. Not a decent conversation or drink, and three nights out along the Ten Trail had done nothing to improve her mood. It was the worst when the blizzard came while they traversed the pass. It was swift and sudden, nothing like what dangers Jorora had faced in her life before. The onslaught of snow did not cease, and the mountain pass roared like it was alive and angry. There were a few minutes she could recollect later about what had happened. The others were separated from her by the avalanche, and she followed some small furry animal into a cavern hole just in time before the land closed around her. After so long of traversing the surface, now she was in a quiet cavern all too familiar for her liking. As the reality of it began to set in, all she had now for company was the cavern's icy loneliness. She found herself oddly missing her newfound fools. Let's keep going with these stories about Rime of the Frostmaiden. I've been running the adventure at my table for about eight or so sessions, so there's plenty to pick from for a while, and each time has been more or less fun. 
As a bonus, it also has content I feel like I wouldn't end up focusing uh, on at my homebrew game. In the same way that running against the cult of the reptile god brought that same old school flavor and design to what was the first campaign for most of that group. This was the first session for our fifth player, the dark elf Jorora of Menzoberranzan. Uh, who would be joining us at the table, so I took a bit of my own advice and decided to split the narrative in two. Rather than just having the player catch up in the same town as the rest of the party and be told what was going on, I decided to focus on storylines for each of them. The first group of heroes returned to Bremen with proof of their dealings with Celtic Cultro, a bit of fabric from his garb. Two members of the party, Tveska the War Mage and Micah the Cleric of the Grave, attempted to give him some kind of funeral out on the ice, and left him there to be reclaimed by his new deity, Oriel, the Frost Maiden, for who he had committed the atrocities uh, until the previous evening. For Lynn Trollbane, the bounty hunter who had given them this task in the first place, this was good enough. If there were any more murders committed in the same fashion, she would know they lied to her. Even as a retired bounty hunter, she'd know how best to handle these folks down the road. She gave them their coin, trusting that even as newcomers to the edge of the world, they'd understand how long someone who goes against their word lasts out here. I also took this opportunity to drop two more quests into the laps of the players, presenting that freedom of choice so indicative of a sandbox environment. When the group first returned to Bremen, they encountered a stubborn fisherman named Grinsk Barrelbore. The dwarf had assumed the group was the same he had hired the night before to go fishing on Mare Dwalden for knucklehead trout, and despite three of the party members walking by him, he insisted on, I guess, forcing his boat on them as a responsibility? I think that's the best way to put it. John Variable, to his credit, seemed keen on fishing, uh, interested in exploring the normal lifestyles of the region. Another NPC, however, a half-elf named Tali, warned John about the dangers upon Mare Dwalden. They told him that the boats coming back were attacked and mangled, as if there was a creature attacking anyone who dared go out and fish on the lake. As you can guess, uh, Grinsk was not keen on warning the group, not out of evil intent, but more from disbelief and need to generate enough coin to keep on keeping on. The party did not opt to pursue that quest at the time, however. Instead, they seemed more interested in heading to Brinshander, the central town of Ten Towns, to regroup with the rest of the caravan. In other words, the fifth player. Along with this, they received an interesting quest from Cora Mulfoon, the proprietor of the Buried Treasures Inn of Bremen. A few months ago, when the townsfolk had gone off into a storm looking for their speaker, her son Huarwar became lost and did not return until the following day with a strange obsidian artifact in his possession, a stone. As you can probably guess, Huarar seemed obsessed with this artifact, coveting it and spurning others as if a changed person. A few days later, a pair of tieflings arrived and, after a short discussion with her son in private, left with Huarar. Huarar, it's a running gag that, uh, this guy's name gets a different pronunciation each time. <laughs> uh, the mom, Cora, she had not seen him since uh, then, and it has left her deeply worried. While she doesn't have anything that could offer the or to offer to the party other than her goodwill, it would still behoove them to investigate the matter, if nothing other than to improve their relation with uh, about the ten towns and the 
populace of it. Uh, it also kind of helped that when they were looking for Lynn Trollbane to turn in their first quest, this is where they ended up and uh, did express interest in the goings on for Korra. So that, that that's a good sign. It also served a dual purpose of getting the group to go to the other side of Ten Towns. While there's four villages surrounding Muir Dwalden, and the group could have just leveled up there to get to the second act um, following the structure of the book, I found it way more interesting to try and hook them to explore some of the other towns on the other side of Bryn Shander. They took the bait, and once confirming from Cora the location of her son, one of the towns with a castle, she said, which Tavesk took to mean either Caer Koenig or Caer Dinaval, neighborhoods or neighboring towns on Lac Dinashare. They bypassed Hargos again and went straight for Brinshander after learning this information. For the other player, we did a bit of a flashback. In order to catch them up on what was going on, I just presented the same information that I did for the other players. You came to ten towns with these folks, uh, brought together by the asking of a shared background NPC friend. In the blizzard that created an avalanche, it separated her from the rest of the party in the mountain pass. As a short adventure to introduce her to the peculiarities of the campaign and get her to Brinshander, where the other party members were conveniently headed, I turned to the DM's guild and made use of an introductory adventure model, Ice Road Trackers. The module itself comes with four different adventurers you could run for the party, but each begins the same way. The party is barraged by an avalanche in the spine of the World Mountain Range and escapes into a cold cavern where, of all things, they meet a pack of awakened animals led by a walrus named Mother Tusk. She takes care of the menagerie, uh, which she treats as her own children, and sees the party's arrival as an opportunity to address some of her own problems. What good are adventurers if they don't go around meddling in other people's affairs, after all? In this case, she just had the one, though. The, um... One of the neatest things of the four episodes you can pick from Ice Road Trackers is that each focuses on a, uh, a different facet of the Rime of the Frostmaiden, um, expanding upon it, allowing you to either run them all and give your players a broader view of the culture and events to come, or simply hone in on the ones you find most beneficial to your group or playstyle. For this, I chose the latter. Just running one of these in order to have Jorora both learn of the Forgotten Realms and Icewind Dale culture, as well as a facet of the game that would, possibly, become more evident as the campaign went on. Mother Tusk and her family had a, uh, or I guess do have, a cave system south of Bryn Shander that they use for shelter. However, terrifying noises have been emitting from the cave and she felt it was no longer safe to bring her family there. Although Jorora comes from a culture exemplifying treachery and selfishness, um, she herself is not a follower of that creed, um, except in times of necessity. She agreed to investigate the caverns, following an owl named Ollie to the location. Outside of the cave, they came upon a gruesome scene. Two humans, guards by their dress, left mauled and dismembered by some terrible creature. Although it's a fine guess that Jorora assumed whatever creature did this was in the cavern, she was mistaken in this instance. She discovered a bag full of orcish tablets left up along the cave path, and further in a different danger altogether. On the other side of a secret door was an orcish burial chamber of some kind. Indents were left where the tablets were pulled from. The apparent culprit, an archaeologist named Dukut, 
uh, lay screaming on the floor as a frozen hand grasped at his ankle. Um, it was his screaming to Jorora to put the stone plates back um, as they were wards for the undead in the room. The hand gave his leg a gruesome twist, causing enough pain for him to faint. Orc zombies that were slowly moving began to emerge from their icy tombs. Jorora didn't wait for them to catch her. She rushed back to retrieve the tablets from the pack, fumbling them uh, at first from a sudden psychic attack. After all, they're engraved with wards of orcish gods, not known for their benevolence. She overcame the danger, however, and carried them back with her into the room. By the time she arrived, the zombies were already shuffling towards her, but undaunted, she sidestepped and swerved around them, placing each of the wards in its proper place. With that completed, the zombies fell inert as they did before. And I did do some adjusting for this encounter. The module expects anywhere from one to four characters, and given I had a single level one PC, I made sure to be lenient with the with what the actual uh, what the zombies could actually accomplish. She did need to make it to Bryn Shander, after all, in hopes of meeting up with her allies. Mother Tusk celebrated a job well done uh, on Jorora's behalf, and Dakut was thankful enough to reward her with a number of treasures for her efforts. The next day, the two of them headed north to Brinshander, where Jorora hoped to find her friends. If what I've talked about with Iceberg Trackers here at all sounds interesting to you, I encourage you to check it out on the DM's Guild yourself. The other three adventurers focus on rescuing another of the Awakened Animals, dealing with the Reghead Wolf Tribe Nomads, and a wandering clan of gnolls succumbing to... Well, if I told you that one, uh, that would give it away for any prospective players listening. Suffice to say, I enjoyed this one uh, adventure that I ended up running, and wouldn't mind visiting the others if any misfortune befalls the group and I need some other introduction for a new character. Wouldn't be the first time playing D&D, and likely not the last. The adventure is written by Sean Merwin, and I'll be sure to include a link in the description for anyone interested. Meanwhile, the rest of the party arrived on the western edge looking for a place to stay and find one right on the other side of the wall, the North Look Tavern an iconic spot here in Brinshander. The party dives in for a warm... You know, I have no idea how I ended up writing a lot of this in present tense. I, I just... It's so weird going back over it. <laughs> anyway, uh, the party dove in for a warm place to rest while waiting for their friend, and then decided to split shortly after uh, with a few other tasks in mind. A few of them headed to Black Iron Blades, the local stop for any number of adventuring goods, and acquired sets of winter gear to make it easier to traverse the snow-covered hills of the Dale. In the nearby temple of Amanator, Keeper of the Eternal Sun, they reunited with their friend Jorora, who was looking for some place safe to stay while trying to track down her friends. I may have forced this one a bit, but, I, uh, but I, I, I'd argue that it brought focus to these two places for a number of reasons. The first is, of course is that the locations that get dots on the town map and descriptive in the book, that makes it easy to, you know, make them uh, points in the story. Simple enough. The second is that they tie directly into future quests down the line. Black Iron Blades is dealing with a failed delivery, which the party will find out shortly as part of the Brinshounder town quest. It also gives them a place to know where to stock up and prepare for coming dangers. The Temple of Amonitor I like because it's always fun bringing divinely graced beings and classes together for religious interactions, especially since this group uh, has that in spades. 
Tvesk is also interested in meeting with a healer for a particular malady she suffers from. And there's even a connection at this location for one of the residents, uh, resident NPCs to an Act 2 quest for the party to go investigate once they spread their wings and fly further from the safety of the town walls. In game mechanics, that translates to hitting level 4. Um, all of that is soon to come. They can't stay in 10 towns forever. The overhanging threat in the background and everlasting rhyme will have to be dealt with at some point, but we'll leave whatever quest it is that the party gets up to uh, for next time. For now, they have reunited behind the comforting barricades that circled Brinshander, safe for a moment from all the perils of the region. Other than an enchanted knucklehead trout at the Northlook Tavern, which John attempted to stick his fingers into as a prank by the locals. He takes it in stride, though, which I'm not sure is something that could be said of all followers of Tempest. Thanks for listening. Feel free to email me at dmdiscoursepodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. You can keep up with what I'm doing by following me on Twitter at dmdcpodcast. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the show on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review if you'd like. Tell your friends as well. That helps me to keep making content that you all enjoy. As always, appreciate y'all out there. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.